Hello, Helen Wilson. Hello. Um, we met at, at the conference in Oxford about applying mathematics uh, to all kinds of interesting fields. And I must say, I really feel delighted about the conference, about the building here and about the many topics I've seen here. And in your lecture, which I attended this morning, you were talking about how you treat uh, viscoelastic fluids. So what are viscoelastic fluids? What kind of properties do they have? Well, it's probably easiest to start by what is not a viscoelastic fluid. So the standard fluid, what we call Newtonian fluids, are things like water or oil or syrup, which all obey the same equations. And these are fluids for which the viscosity, the thickness, doesn't change either with time or with what flow you do to it, and you always get the same response. So you can use the same equations to model the oceans, the atmospheres, the flow of golden syrup down a slope. All of these things work with the same set of equations. What I work on is essentially every other fluid. So fluids that are complex and have in some way a structure that makes them not follow those standard equations. So typically, these are fluids that have something going on within them that is either a structure that it can be built up and broken down by flow, or actually objects, so either polymers dissolved or solid particles, which themselves can then form a structure or form a shape. And the thing that makes this viscoelastic is that as the flow happens to the fluid, these particles or polymers or whatever they are get aligned and put in position by the flow And then as the flow goes on, it takes them a while to come back from there, which means the fluid develops a memory of what flow has happened to it. And memory is essentially an elastic phenomenon, so we call them viscoelastic. The simplest example that you have seen and probably never noticed is if you take tinned tomato soup and stir it, it will go round with your spoon, of course. And if you did this with water, it would go round with the spoon. And then if you take the spoon out and just watch, it will gradually slow down and come to a halt. But if you do the same with soup, it will gradually slow down and then right at the end, just as it's coming to a halt, it will spring back a bit and go back the way it came, just a tiny, tiny bit. And that's because the polymer molecules in the soup are stretched out by the flow and right at the end they want to complete their relaxation and so they spring back in exactly the same way that if you take a chunk of rubber and push it and then let go, it springs back to the position it was originally in. Sometimes you have this behaviour also with paint. So if yes. you have to um, swirl around paint because, you know, it's not really homogeneous and then uh, it's kind of hard work and then you take the drilling machine to make uh, the, um, the mixing for you and then you see that the paint is um, going up uh, the yes. drilling and which is not to be expected if you think about um, turning around your coffee, you always yes. have something going down. Yes, exactly. So that's what's called the Weissenberg effect mm. that um, stretched stretched molecules or stretched particles within the fluid in a rotating fluid tend to want to pull back and pull in and so they can dra drag the part the fluid as a whole into the center which drives it up the rotating rod yeah which um, it's always really surprising yes. and you know it, it, it kind of catches you unaware And then you have to kind of switch off things, not to destroy the machine if the uh, paint comes into the machine. It's not so yes. <laughs> so it, it has real life applications as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. So in, in everyday life. Um, 
So if you have, of course, it's clear if the behavior of the material is more complicated, of course, the equations have to be more complicated. Yes. And the fundamental problem of this field is that we don't have equations that we know are right for hardly any fluid. Um, so for any given, yes, all the Newtonian fluids follow the Newtonian mm. constitutive equation, we call it. Um, but anything else, you are guessing to some extent. You might be deriving models from microscopic properties of your fluid but in the end all of these are models they're approximations they're not the exact equations that the fluids are going to follow so they're only good as far as they work and they're never going to be perfect the whole way yeah and probably in applications where you really want to predict behavior or model behavior of a fluid you have really in your hands you will kind of choose what kind of parameters you can measure and then Absolutely. look for a model where these parameters go into the model and you can kind of fit And it becomes a game of compromise between fitting exactly whatever you can model yeah. and um, choosing a model that's simple enough that you can do whatever calculations you need to do to get predictions. Yeah. And it's always a, a balancing act between those two. And um, in treating this viscoelastic flow or viscoelastic fluids, because you can consider it a property of the material or you could consider it a property of the flowing behavior, yes. And so I'm always kind of stuck between fluid and flow. Yes, I think I, th I tend to think of viscoelasticity as a property of the fluid. Mm. And then how strongly it manifests is certainly a question of what flow you put it through. So if you take even quite a thick polymer solution and you make it flow very slowly, you can approximate it well by a Newtonian fluid yeah, law, just a very thick one. Mm. But faster flows become much more elastic behavior. So because uh, if you have this linear behavior, it only depends on kind of the symmetrized behavior of the changes in the velocity. Yes, so that's right. you can't really take the changes in the velocity because this is not frame invariant, but you can symmetrize it and then you have a, a quality that's right. uh, yes. which you can take. So what kind of extra uh, so, quantities can you take? Well, probably the simplest viscoelastic model that follows that sort of structure is to go for a retarded fluid expansion um, in which you assume that elastic properties are going to be very weak and you can do a formal asymptotic expansion around the Newtonian base state and you can include every possible um, tensorial valid ex um, term in the expansion. And people do a lot of work with second-order fluids, which are, I think, you, you end up with two more scalar properties, scalar parameters to mm. add in to go with various combinations of the velocity gradient And then that's all you can have to second order in this small elasticity parameter. If you go to third order, you get an awful lot of terms, and I've never seen anybody do anything at a higher order than that. Yes, and also I think the, the problem is that for real fluids, you cannot really distinguish if it's of higher order because you can only no. measure up to... As, so, as soon as you get past second order, mm. if you can see the cubic terms, then you can also see everything beyond the cubic terms. So there's not really much point in pushing the expansion. Yeah, because, you know, as a mathematician, mathematician you're always kind of in the spirit of you take the linear as kind of the simplest one and then you put something extra, you have second order and then if you have the idea that if, if you put on third, fourth and so on, you could approximate... You could get closer any, to reality, yeah, but it doesn't really work like that. And yes, and then... Um, persons from real life tell you but we can't measure that we can't really yes see you might as well stop when you've done second order and go and do something yeah um so what are the questions you have to these kinds of uh, fluids well one question that i've been looking at recently is um stability of a viscoelastic fluid in a channel 
well, in fact, I've been looking at it for a long time, but it's come back to life recently because some experimentalists have found unstable behaviour of a kind that looks like something I predicted a long time ago. Oh, this is so exciting. It is. It's beautiful. So I wrote a paper in 1999 which had a sentence saying, and if anybody were to see this in experiments, this would be wonderful. Mm. And then nothing happened. And I thought, oh, well, okay, it's not real. It was just an artefact of the model we were using. And then in 2013, I get an email saying, we found this instability. Could it be your instability? Which was wonderful. Yeah. I think this is kind of a once in a lifetime. Definitely. (laughs) So that was very exciting. Um, What happens is uh, dilute polymer solutions, they have this elasticity property where they have the memory, but they are also shear thinning, which means that the faster you apply a shear flow, which is just a plate over plate style flow, um, the thinner they become. In other words, the lower their, their apparent viscosity. So in steady flow, it looks as if a faster flow is applying to a less viscous fluid. Um, and the, the group in Bordeaux who did these experiments had taken a micro channel, which is only a couple of hundred microns Very across, thin, yeah. mm-hmm. um, put a dilute polymer solution through it and found that above a given flow rate, they were getting oscillations from side to side within their channel, within their flow, and noise in the maximum flow rate, and the maximum flow rate wasn't what they expected it to be, all above a very reproducible critical flow rate. Below that flow rate, everything was as they expected it to be. Um, dilute just means shear thinning. No, dilute means that there isn't much of the polymer there. Okay, okay, dilute. So it's almost all water. All water, okay. There is also some other word which I always forget. Because I can better work with shear thinning and shear thickening because I can really imagine what's what's happening there. So they, they had water with a little bit of polymer in it. Mm. And then, uh, and of course, microchannels also have their own kind of um, interesting things happening to them. The beautiful thing about microchannels is that inertia is absolutely, definitely negligible. The Reynolds numbers that you're looking at for their experiments are of order 10 to the minus 4 or less. Mm. So there's no question that inertia can have anything to do with the instabilities that they're seeing, which means essentially all you've got left, if it's not inertia, is something non-Newtonian, something viscoelastic. Yeah, because if you say inertia is not present, this means you have kind of a flow which developed... Uh, as a stable kind of behavior, not just a kind of a beginning thing which has to come... Well, it's not so much that it's definitely instantly at its steady state because the elastic part also needs to build up over time. There are still transients um, as the polymers get gradually stretched as they move along the flow. But what you don't have is momentum playing any important part. So a fluid blob can instantly dissipate its momentum through viscosity because the channel is so small that there's just a lot of viscous drag going on. Mm, okay, this I can uh, understand. At least, you know, you have uh, this idea uh, how it um, evaporates, kind of, because it has the possibility to do that. Even if uh, I'm always kind of um, caught in that uh, the behavior of the fluids which we see every day they are never viscoelastic, so I'm very often really and they surprised. And they are about often what's filled with inertia as well. Yeah, yeah, so. our, most of our instincts are based on fluids that have inertia. You yeah, expect yeah. splashing, you yeah. expect. And everything which is kind of um, other can really surprise anybody. Uh, even persons are working with material for a long time, then mm. in a certain circumstances it's surprising what's happening. 
Um, so in principle, I think um, with prescribing uh, viscoelastic uh, fl uh, fluids and viscoelastic flow, you will write down equations which are highly nonlinear. Yes. Uh, and what kind of um, uh, questions do you ask to these equations and in this, which tools can you uh, work on these equations? So um, it depends what questions I'm trying to ask. But for this stability question, um, once I've decided what constitutive equation I'm going to use for my fluid, yeah. and that's quite a big question in the first yeah, place. Of course. But once that decision has been made, because I'm trying to study stability, first I want to ask, what is the steady flow? And that is a question that I can solve analytically. So I sit down with my equations and my boundary conditions, and they're just a set of PDEs. I'm looking for a solution which is independent of one of the space variables, independent of time, and so it, it's just a one-dimensional ODE system to solve. It's not particularly difficult, which is nice. Yeah. Um, then to look at stability, the second question is, how does this respond to small perturbations? So you go back to your original vectorial tensorial equations and add a small perturbation um, and linearize about the base state, which leaves you with a linear system of PDEs, which depend on your base state solution, which mm. may be reasonably complicated, although you do at least have it in closed form. Um, then, because of the structure of the base state, which was independent of time and independent of one space direction, you can Fourier transform in time, you can Fourier transform in that space direction, and that essentially takes out two of your unknowns. And you're left with two scalar parameters instead, one real, one complex. Um, and again, you have an ODE system, but now it's a much higher dimensional ODE system and it has an unknown eigenvalue in it. So at that point, everything becomes numerical. Uh, so I have a linear system of ODEs with unknown parameters in, with boundary conditions which are, which are all zero. And the question is, can I find a non-trivial solution? And if I can find a non-trivial solution, that will only happen for specific values of the eigenvalue. And that eigenvalue then tells me whether the flow is stable or unstable. And I can track that complex number as it depends on all the other parameters that I'm putting into my problem. Yeah. And of course, um, all this um, idea about stability is also highly complicated. Because you were spe specifically speaking about having a linear system, so linear stability is one way of treating stability. Yes. And of course, with this highly nonlinear material behavior, you could, could really ask yourself if this is kind of the right way to look at things. And indeed, the reason that the experimental group were doing the experiments was to try to find a nonlinear instability that had been predicted by somebody else doing nonlinear theory. Mm. So they were looking for something that was intrinsically nonlinear, and they stumbled across this instability which had a totally reproducible critical flow rate, which was the hallmark of a linear instability and suddenly started looking for a linear instability yeah. just because they had discovered it was there, but that wasn't where they started from. Yeah. So what would be the next steps now in um, understanding the behaviour better? Um, I want to use a better constitutive model than I currently have mm -hmm. because I leapt in with the simplest constitutive model to try and get something out and see whether this was workable at all. Yeah. And the model that I've used has several weaknesses. One is that it is based on a power law. So I have a viscosity which scales with a negative power of the shear rate, which is fine at moderate to high shear rates, but at very low shear rates, the viscosity becomes very high. Mm -hmm. And in a channel flow, you have zero shear rate on the centre line, which means I have an infinitely thin 
infinitely viscous layer in the middle of my flow and nothing can get across it. And that's clearly not what's going on in the experiments because the experimental observations show particles crossing the centre line. So the power law was just a simple way to try and fit the experimental measurements of the fluid, and it's clearly not good enough. Yeah, so the, 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 the nice thing I'd like to do is just add a better fluid yeah, in yeah. there. I'm always telling my students that with nonlinear behaviour, we don't really know. It's just as you were telling. Uh, and then, you know, just to have at least one parameter more to fit, yes. then we just use power law. There's no better explanation Absolute, for that. Absolutely. You just don't want to be doing anything that's too complicated, but I do want to do something that's better than a power law so that I can consider perturbations that can cross the, the mm. centre line. Um, and I also want to use a fluid that doesn't just have properties that respond instantaneously to their environment because that's clearly unphysical. If you take a bottle of ketchup, which is a classic shear thinning fluid, mm. and you shake it and then try to pour it, it doesn't instantly become thick again because you've stopped shaking. It will pour for a few seconds before it thickens up. And that's because its structure takes a while to rebuild after it's been sheared. Now, what I've been doing is essentially a model that says, as soon as you stop shearing, it's going to go straight back to being thick and set and you won't get it out of the bottle. That's not physical and I need to do better than that. That will be quite a big job because that will involve introducing a new variable and a whole new set of modelling. Yeah, you will have to define a threshold which is kind of the time which you assume. I'm not assume, assuming that this material is completely solid before you shake it, yeah. because that's a much, much harder problem and one that I don't think is relevant for this particular fluid. But I can't have it responding too fast to the environment it finds itself in, because any physical system needs to have a while to appreciate what's happening to it in order for whatever physics it is that's causing it to thin to happen. Mm. Yeah, I can see that. And I, I also see that this is co uh, quite a delicate problem. And it would be nice uh, to really compare what you find with uh, experiments. Yes. In order to be more sure that yes. this is not just guesswork. but uh, really Absolutely. And it's really nice that we do have a group of experimentalists who have done this and who are still working with this system. So I can ask them for more details of their fluid system to be going on with. It's, so it's, it's very nice to get more information as far nice. as I can. Yeah, I see that. Um, so when did your fascination with treating objects in a mathematical way start? Ah. Oh. It, before I can remember, <laughs> when I was 10 or 11, mm -hmm. I knew that I wanted to do maths and that I wanted to do a maths degree. And that was all I knew. Um, I didn't know whether I wanted to be a pure mathematician or an applied mathematician. I just knew that I really liked numbers and I wanted to play with them. And I carried on with that aspiration right up to the point where I got to the end of my maths degree and I hadn't got any further with what I wanted to do. And I, I stood there on the brink of graduating going, well, now what? <laughs> I've achieved yeah. it. What do I do next? And I applied for every job there was going. And I was very lucky that there was a recession and I didn't get a job as an insurance agent or a civil servant or an accountant or a banker, all of which I think now I would have hated. And instead I went back and did a one-year um, taught master's course just because there was funding available for that and yeah. I hadn't got anything else to do and it's better than being unemployed. And by the end of that, I discovered that mathematical research looked really fascinating and I wanted to stay on and I wanted to do more. Um, in your graduating time, did you, have, did you even see these kinds of um, problems? And, and No, I didn't discover um, viscoelastic fluids mm. until I was taking the master's course. That was when I discovered that and I did... Um, I, 
project, an essay on a complex fluids topic and then carried on and did my PhD with the with my, my supervisor was the person that had supervised that essay. Yeah, that's good. If you find someone you really trust in and has interesting problems and yes. then can lead you to a point where you become really um, accomplished with something yeah, that you have um, knowledge on your own and uh, yeah. the feeling if this is the right thing for you also yes. for the future. To be honest, I didn't choose the subject so much as the person. Mm -hmm. That My supervisor was the best lecturer that I had as, a as an undergraduate and I was just attracted to the fact that he was so clear that I felt I could really learn something there and that I almost chose the field at random because that was where he worked. But now I'm in it. I think it's great. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you very much that you took the time and such a busy day today here in Oxford to talk about a subject which I'm really interested in. And um, I really hope that you will find um, the models you are looking for. Thank you very much.